While y'all are sitting down, please take your Bibles and turn together with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We'll turn our attention this morning to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, and we'll focus especially on uh, verse 18. As we read this, it is God's inerrant, infallible, uh, sufficient, authoritative word. Let's give attention to it now, picking up with verse 12 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work, be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them, do good to, one, with, to them all, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for causing men to write it down. Thank you for preserving it through all these ages. Thank you for the medieval church and the cloisters of monks who preserved Greek and Hebrew manuscripts. Thank you for bringing them to light. Thank you for stirring men's hearts to translate them. And thank you for giving them to us today. Lord, what a work. Thank you for your grace. Help us to take advantage of this word now, to bear fruit in our lives reflective of the glory of Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. This week we celebrate Thanksgiving Day, and of course I chose a text that has Thanksgiving in it. Uh, reminding us that Thanksgiving is a Christian activity, it's a Christian discipline. Um, some have denounced this day, Thanksgiving Day, uh, because of newfound cultural sensitivities and morality. I think that it's appropriate, though, for us to remember that Thanksgiving Day is not the reflection on the decimation of a people. Thanksgiving Day is a reflection on two tribes, as it were, the pilgrims and the Indians, who achieved peace and enjoyed a meal together. It is a reflection upon a people who left a country where they were persecuted by religious people and found a place amongst pagans where they enjoyed peace and a meal together. Throughout his reflection on that time, William Bradford, leader of the so-called pilgrims, in his work on that time, repeatedly referenced the providence of God. The providence of God in their preservation, in their provision, 
in their protection. It was God who brought their travails, and it was God who gave them their blessings. And so they even declared a day of thanksgiving to reflect on all that God had done for them in Christ Jesus, to give them a place of peace. And as we look this morning at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, a text, listen, a text that William Bradford and Miles Standish would have reflected on in their day. We reflect on this morning. The same text that would have compelled those men and families to give thanks to God continues to compel us to give thanks to God. And it teaches us a a pretty simple and a clear principle that it is God's will for you in Christ Jesus to rejoice always to pray unceasingly, and to give thanks in every one of your circumstances. It is God's will for you in Christ Jesus to rejoice always, to pray unceasingly, and to give thanks in all things. 1 Thessalonians may be, maybe I'm inclined to think that 1 Thessalonians is the earliest of Paul's writings. There's some debate as to which one of Paul's letters was first, and some will uh, attribute that to Galatians, others to 1 Thessalonians. But this was a letter sent to a church, a group of people gathered for worship in the name of Christ Jesus in a little town called Thessalonica. It could have been written to Macomb if we existed then. Depending on how you measure them, this was either Paul's second or maybe his fourth missionary journey since his conversion on the road to Damascus. It seems to have been a church, if you're familiar with this letter, this seems to be a church that Paul maybe had a special fondness for. And if it was... uh, One of his first letters, we can imagine why. Because he saw his ministry bear fruit there. The conversion of the people in Thessalonica came in a powerful demonstration of the Spirit. Turn over just a couple of pages to chapter 1. Verse 4. For we know, brothers... Loved by God, that He has chosen you. Why? Because our gospel came to you not in word only, like it does in a lot of other places, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Paul reflected here on the salvation of these people where he could, in some sense, see the Spirit work and translate men from bondage into freedom in Jesus Christ in a moment. And it encouraged his heart. And those who embraced the Gospel in Thessalonica, they did so at a cost. Some of them were never the same type of citizen in Thessalonica 
that they were before the gospel came. For some of them, the gospel ended the ease of their life and introduced them to an afflicted life. Now they were outcasts. So Paul wrote to them, because he's a pastor, he's a shepherd, and wanted to encourage their hearts. He wanted to enable them to endure the hardship of life. So he wrote them two letters. And after answering a couple of questions from the congregation in chapter 4, verse 9, and in chapter 5, verse 1, Paul concluded his letter with a list of final instructions. Before I go, as it were, here are some things I want you to take to heart. 17 to-dos, or if you will, 17 honey-dos given to the congregation that are intended to grow their love for the Lord and for one another and to grow their maturity in Christ. Paul, he was always or ever the church planter and the shepherd. He truly loved God's people and he exhibited this love through his constant instruction toward righteousness these are his words saying keep going keep going keep doing the simple things well the first thing first thing that we notice then from our text the the simplest thing is that it is God's will for you to give thanks nothing gets simpler than that it is God's will for you to give thanks We often think of God's will as something that is hidden and mysterious. It's covered by a blanket. It is in some darkness out there. We know that God's will is unfolding and that everything that happens is part of God's will. But but sometimes we might be tempted to say, well, I don't know what God's will is. Well, Paul would remind you in some simple terms this morning. Yes, you do. You do know what God's will is. It's not complicated. The Persians, we've learned from the book of Esther, in order to determine God's will, would cast lots. They would roll dice to determine what God's will was. Sometimes the Hebrew people did too. God gave them the Urim and the Thummim. We we don't fully understand what those were used for. They were used to divide the land in Joshua's time, but they were given to determine God's will. One of the mistakes that you and I make is when we refer to the whimsy of our heart as the determiner of God's will. Or the imagination of our mind mind, as God communicating His will to us. But the God who has diagnosed your heart as deceitful above all things, has not turned you over to that heart to determine what His will is. There's some comfort in that. No. God has made the principles of His will crystal clear to you. Why? Because He loves you. It is not God's will for you to wander around in blindness trying to figure out, well, maybe God wants me to do this, maybe He doesn't. Here, God explicitly makes known that His will for you is to give thanks. 
What's God's will? Well, he wants you to be a thankful person. What does it mean, though, secondly, uh, biblically, to give thanks? Well, the term in the original language, it's kind of a compound word. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean anything, but, but in the Greek, it was putting together two words that together mean good grace or good gift. It's the Greek term uh, eucharisteo. You don't know what that means or care about it, but we do bring it forward into the English language. Sometimes in some traditions, the Lord's table is referred to as the Eucharist. It comes from this word that we translate to give thanks. The celebration of the Lord's Supper is referred to as a giving of thanks. The term that we use to describe, this is the term that we use to describe the Christian practice, think of this, of expressing the gratitude that is in my heart. So we understand immediately that this is something much more than just uh, as I'm driving along in my car saying, thank you, Lord, that I, didn't, that I heard the rumble strips and didn't drive into the tree. In other words... This is an outward manifestation of a heart attitude. Thankfulness is an outward manifestation of a heart attitude. It, it re reveals who I am on the inside, where my dependencies are. So thankfulness, it's not accidental. It reflects a purposeful and a thoughtful life. It comes from the Christian's active cultivation of gratitude. So there's the question, isn't it? Are you acknowledging that it is God's will for you to give thanks? And therefore, are you cultivating on a moment-by-moment -moment basis an attitude of thankfulness? Are you doing that? Are you recognizing that that is God's will for you? Let's think just for a moment about the starting point for this thanksgiving. One of the most important questions that we can ask in the Christian life is the question, why? Why did God do this? Why does he want that for me? What's the point? Uh, Christianity is not the religion where we come to things and we abandon all reason and rationality. Christianity is a religion where we find that reason and rationality are renewed. So the first thing that we see here is that the starting point for thanksgiving is in Christ Jesus. Do you see that there? Look with me at verse 18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for y'all. This qualifies that phrase, in all circumstances, literally, in all things, for us. Why, why is the believer enabled to give thanks in all things, regardless of what my circumstance is, regardless of what's going on outside these four walls, regardless of what is affecting you, how is it that you are enabled to give thanks? How could Daniel 
in Babylon being commanded to worship no god but um, uh, um, the, the king of Babylon, whose name is escaping me, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, why is, could he give thanks continuously? Why could he do that? Why is it when you face uh, seasons of adversity in your life, why is it that, that, that you can go on in that season and have a thankful life, have a, have a, a perspective of gratitude? How can you do that? Why is it that God would be such an overbearing God as to command the way that I feel? Well, he tells you. Because the overarching circumstance of the Christian's life is that you are in Christ Jesus. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you are in Christ Jesus. Jesus. That is a circumstance that never changes. Whether you are in the hospital on a ventilator or you are getting a promotion at work, you are in Christ Jesus. And so that circumstance qualifies the in all things because the in all things is a, a subset of the in Christ Jesus. You are never apart from Him. My mother used to use this as a warning to me. When you sit down to watch TV, remember that Jesus is sitting next to you. When you suffer, you suffer in Christ Jesus. When you have abundance, that abundance is in Christ Jesus. We recognize that neither suffering nor abundance, listen, have any benefit for us apart from Christ Jesus. So this is, this is the ultimate starting point for you and me. It is the ultimate starting point for thanksgiving. It is Christ and Christ alone who enables you to be a grateful person. It is Christ living in you that enables you to give thanks, to obey the will of God, and to have this kind of attitude. And so it is appropriate right now as we think about giving true thanksgiving to recognize that it flows only from your redemption. You will only be a thankful and a grateful person truly when you are redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. When you give thanks, it is an activity of Christ living in and through you, causing you, compelling you by His Spirit to lift your eyes and face and say, thank you, Lord. It is Christ living in you. And so let, let's think just briefly for a few of the ways, a few of the, the ways that Christ enables us to give thanks. So we think back over the last two years, it is, it is easy to say that these are potentially some of the years that we'd be least thankful for, right? 
And as we think ahead, many of us are saying, I don't foresee a lot of thankful moments on the horizon, especially as I stop to fill up my car with gas. The last thing that's going on in my mind is, thank you, Lord, for $4 a gallon gas. So what, what is it that controls the Christian mind? What is it that, that my, like that radio station dial, that I am tuning my mind to think about that directs me to praising God? How is God, Christ, by His Spirit, directing me to praise? Well, one, perhaps the simplest of all for you, is when you acknowledge God's provision. You acknowledge that God provides for you. Remember that Jesus, as the representative of true humanity, demonstrated this attitude of thankfulness in the Gospels. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 36, we find that when Jesus was feeding the multitudes, do you remember what he did? He took that provision, he broke the bread, and lifting his eyes toward the heavens, what did he do? He gave thanks. As true humanity represented there in that unfallen man, unfallen man returns thanks to God, recognizing that all of his provision comes from the Lord. When he shared the loaves and the fishes, he gave thanks to the Lord. Another important place, when Christ broke bread with his disciples at the Last Supper, think about this. Christ, at his last meal with these men, what did he do? He broke bread and he gave thanks for it. When he shared the cup of the new covenant with them, likewise, he gave thanks after the meal and he gave them the cup. So as we reflect on the Lord's ministry, we see there that true humanity, when, when we are restored by the Holy Spirit, one of the ways that that restoration of true humanity within us is reflected is in the simple act of giving thanks for God's provision. Acknowledging that what you have comes from Him. Also, as we reflect on the fourth petition, when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. We just reflected on this a moment ago in the Heidelberg Catechism. What did he tell them to pray for? He said, pray, give us this day our daily bread. In other words, in a sense, telling his disciples, don't take that for granted. Don't take your daily bread for granted. Ask the Lord to give it to you. When we pray that prayer, we acknowledge that by nature, we don't deserve any of the good things of this life. In fact, if I'm really, really honest, what I deserve is that when I eat bread, I would choke on it. Or that it would make me sick. That's what I deserve. And so when we pray this prayer and we're giving thanks to God, we remember there is real meaning in asking God to cause your food to nourish your body. I used to think that was such a throwaway prayer. But we remember that it is God who causes our food to nourish and strengthen our bodies. And so we give thanks. 
We could reflect on Jesus at the resurrection of Lazarus. Turn over with me to John chapter 11, in fact. I want you to see these words. In John chapter 11, verse 41, notice now that Jesus has not yet raised uh, Lazarus. But the first thing that he does is give thanks to God in John 11, 41. So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. So here we see Jesus again as as the true man, the model man, giving thanks to the Lord. Why? For hearing his prayers. (coughs) He expressed confidence that God heard his prayers. And so do you. When you give thanks to the Lord, you are expressing confidence that he hears your prayers and that He is able to answer them. And so we give thanks. Jesus demonstrated thanks in His life by thanking the Lord for provision and acknowledging that God answered His prayers. But let's look at just a few more from the life of Paul. Those of you who are really struggling right now. Those of you who are in a season of life where you you don't feel thankful. And and you need to have uh, your compass uh, redirected, reoriented. Think about some of these things. Paul, in Acts chapter 27, verse 35, he'd been bitten by a poisonous snake. And the folks on the island feared that he would die. But God revived him. And so we find that after Paul had revived, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Paul gave thanks to God for delivering him. Do you give thanks to God for your deliverance? And not just the deliverance of Christ, of course there's that, but the deliverance when God heals you from a cold or causes your bones to heal, or when you take an Advil and it takes away your pain, do you give thanks to God for those things? In Acts chapter 28 and verse 15, we find that Paul gave thanks there when he saw the brothers coming to him. In Acts 28 verse 15, on seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. Do you thank God every time you come to church? For the opportunity to join with the people in this room in His worship and for the encouragement that you get from joining with like-minded people. You should. You should thank God every time you see the brothers. Do you thank God for the proclamation of the faith of others in Romans chapter 1 verse 8 Paul said first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you why 
Because your faith is proclaimed in all the world, do you praise God and thank Him that the faith of other people is being declared in all the world? We recently had the opportunity to take some Operation Christmas Child boxes over to the campus of the college. And we saw some pictures of shoe boxes being delivered to children. And we learned about how they are taken through a course, a discipleship course, uh, introducing them to the fundamental principles of the gospel. Do you thank God for the testimonies of other people that are going and being poured into the lives of these children? You ought to. How often do you thank God for other people? Paul regularly thanked God for other people. Last year as we were looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, we remembered that we ought to thank God for the Sunday school teachers and the ministers and the parents and the school teachers who introduced us to Jesus Christ. Paul regularly gave thanks for other people. Thanking God for their faith. Thanking God for their existence. How often do you do that? Paul even thanked God for the spiritual gifts that he had given to others. You think about, maybe you think about our deacons. Those men who serve so tirelessly in our church to take care of things like the furnace in the attic. Do you thank God for gifting those men to see to those things. Or the others who He stirs up within our body to minister to the people outside of these walls. Do you thank God for giving those gifts? He didn't have to. You should. Lastly, I want you to see a final object of thanksgiving. Turn over with me from, to Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. <clears throat> then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Hallelujah! And he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, listen here, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants the prophets and saints and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Here it is. If you forget all these others, you have those times in life where you're not thinking about your, 
God's provision for you, your daily bread. You're not thankful for the people in your church. You're not thankful for the spiritual gifts that he's poured out at New Covenant, the guitarists and the instrumentalists and all of these things that he's given to lead us in worship. You forget all of these things. Here's the last point of thanksgiving and the ultimate point. You have God. In Christ Jesus, the ultimate gift to you in Christ only is God Himself. Through Christ, we get to participate in a in a taste now, in fullness later, we participate in a taste of the fellowship and joy of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Do you give thanks for that? It is God's will for you in Christ Jesus to rejoice always, to pray unceasingly, and to give thanks in all things. One closing exhortation. Brothers in Christ, men, it is especially your work to lead your families in thanksgiving. It is your work to follow in the steps of men like William Bradford and lead in thanksgiving. It is your work to direct the attention of your wives and of your children to the Lord God Almighty, to remind them of God's gracious provision, and to teach them to sing God's praises in all circumstances. This is your work. Brothers and sisters, as you gather with your friends and your families this week, you ought to sit down and eat well. Eat until you're full. Enjoy your eating. Enjoy the fellowship. And be faithful to acknowledge the one, listen, from whom that bounty comes. Enjoy it to His glory. And give thanks to God from whom all blessings flow. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, too often we neglect this part of our fellowship with You that we give thanks, that we, we fail to cultivate a grateful heart. Instead, Lord, we are just like the Israelites in the wilderness who murmur, boy, I'd be happy if I just had a bigger turkey or a bigger ham or a better school or a better husband or a better wife. And all these things, Father, we are content to murmur against You. You have given us everything. Help us, Father, not to deny that by being thankless people. Stir up our hearts this week to give testimony to Your glory by thanking You. To renewing our will, our commitment as husbands and fathers, as men, as wives, as children, to thanking You in all things. Because all things take place for us in Christ. 
in whose name we praise you. Amen.